Hey, listeners. (laughs) That sounded so professional. Hey, listeners. Welcome back. Trying something new this week to catch your attention. Are you like an NPR host now? Like I'm loving this, like very soft tone. Not not at all my natural temperament. Haven't had an adverse feeling in several years now. No, mm-mm. very calm. Um, very uh, we are the imposters. This is too weird. I can't talk like this. Sorry. Welcome back. We're back. We're back. Um, Monica is about to start a brand new adventure. She is free. She is fun employmenting and she had her birthday. So it's like such a great celebratory week for Monica. Monica, thoughts? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I have completed another pass around the sun, as they say. Uh, mm-hmm. I turned 33 on Monday, which was October 4th. Uh, write it down if you haven't already. Um, love getting little happy birthday messages. So just keep that in mind. Um, no, but yeah, it was it was a very chill birthday. Uh, just had some friends go to a place near my house, a brewery that I like. Taylor was there. Uh, and she brought me, I don't know if you have already like guessed this based on my stellar vocals today, but she has gifted me a professional podcasting microphone. And so now we're mic twins and we're super professional. And I can only imagine that Webby is going to be, you know, knocking on our door within the next couple of weeks, like, you know, like we're not even going to bother nominating you. You've won. You've won. You've won what award? You've won all of the awards. All of the yeah. awards are yours. Yeah. We've done all we've needed to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you didn't take it as a microaggression about the quality of your vocal tone. Um, I would never, because don't forget that I am actually a professional vocalist on the Headspace app. <laughs> I mean, you do sound good to me. I wonder if the listeners can tell, but you sound great. Thank you. You're welcome. Ooh, that was almost like some ASMR. Um. <laughs> well, well, listeners, um, we hate to break it to you, but this week actually won't just be Taylor and I talking about my weird stress dreams and the TV shows we're watching. Although don't worry, we will be back to our regularly scheduled content soon enough because since next week is my my first week in a new role, my first new role in five years, my first new software engineer role ever. Um, we're gonna have a lot of I content. Lost my train of thought. We're, we're gonna, gonna have oh, a lot yeah, of- right. We're gonna have a lot of content about me feeling like an imposter. So buckle up. Um, that'll probably cover us for like the next year, but today, today we have a special guest and she's a very dear friend of mine, Patricia Drennan. And we met, I met her, uh, when I was fresh out of college at living social and we were both working as inside, uh, sales associates and selling, uh, coupons, uh, over the internet to, you know, places for like a Brazilian blowout, 
um, maybe a couple of apps at your local restaurant. And we uh, formed a strong bond um, as one tends to do working under stressful sales conditions. And, you know, the uh, life took us in two very different directions. She ended up moving to Australia for several years and it came back uh, a few years ago to start law school uh, and a whole new chapter of her life and her career. And she's joining us today, having just started her third and final year of law school. I know law school now is three, not four years. You'll hear me fumble over that a little bit later. Um, and as if that wasn't enough of an accomplishment, she also already has a job offer uh, to be an associate at a, at a law firm as soon as she graduates and passes the bar next year. So uh, a little different, um, not technical in you know the way that we're used to talking about uh, careers in tech, but I feel like when you get down into it, reading uh, and understanding the law and all of these old legal precedents is very like logic-based and, and technical in its, in its own right. So there's plenty of room for uh, imposter syndrome there, which we get into and can't wait to share. Yeah. I feel like since we started this podcast, so many people have told me just like friends and other people also friends. I don't know. Other people, everyone has told me that friends and non-friends <laughs> <laughs> friends and enemies have told me, um, <laughs> no. um, just, I've gotten messages like that. This is not isolated to tech. Um, and so like any woman, this is not good. Honestly, no one has said that to us. Isn't that crazy? It's a good screen content. No, but like no troll has been like, like you suck, like shut it down. Anyway. Um, but yeah, we've, I just have gotten that message so many times. Like this doesn't only affect women in tech. Like I'm a doctor and this affects me. I'm a lawyer and this affects me. And so I think it's time that we had someone, um, with a different background on. And as we learned throughout the challenge, the, the work may be a little bit different challenges, remain the same. Um, and just learning different tools to comment those things, um, is always helpful. Um, but all that talk about school really made me grateful to just have this job and not have to study and work long. You've been in school, girl, you, you got your, your bootcamp degree. It's true. I did my time. (laughs) (laughs) I did my time, I guess, but yeah. Um, yeah, that it, it was just, she has um, so much ahead of her in this new career and I'm excited for you all to hear from Patty. Patty is a third year law student in Washington, DC, who will be working as an associate at a quote unquote big law firm after graduating and taking her bar next summer. She decided to make the change and go to law school after working in sales and recruitment for eight years, all of which started with working in sales at Living Social with her friend, Monica. That's me. Welcome, Patty. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to see your face and to catch up with you. And I'm so excited to have a law student on the podcast. This is a, a new for us, but obviously 
another very challenging and rigorous uh, and often male dominated career trajectory. So let's get into it. But first, let's talk about your background. Um, I met you when we were both at Living Social, selling internet coupons by day uh, and taking uh, a lot of like shots of fireball at night. Not our not our best years, but certainly fun years. Um, but suffice to say that long-term career plans like weren't quite like front and center uh, for us yet. So talk me through how and when you made this really big decision um, both in terms of like time and financially as well uh, to go to law school. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, like you and me and a lot of us who started Living Social, I fell into that job after college oh, yeah. and just fell into sales at the time. Didn't think I was gonna be selling coupons online. Um, but you but were I mean, very you're good at it. Let's not forget that so you good. were very good at it. Yes, I was. we were both weirdly good at it considering it was not we're what we wanted to be it. doing. <laughs> And given a lot of responsibility quickly that we arguably should not have had. No, um, we, we probably should not I, have been managers, but that's okay. I think that's all right. <laughs> and you're, I mean, you're right. Like I wasn't thinking about long-term career plans at the time. And even for a little bit after that. Um, so just, you know, as background, after working at Living Social for two years, I got an offer to go join the Australia office for what was supposed to be a six month contract at the time. And again, that just, kind of happened like the opportunity presented itself and I thought you know if I never if I did, don't pursue this I'm gonna regret it so I did and as Monica knows once I got out there I decided you know I wanted to stay and then I kind of fell into the next job which was getting a visa meaning I had to work in a new industry for me which was recruitment so I was selling recruitment services and hiring staff for our clients at the time. And I did that for pretty much the whole time I was in Australia, which was six years. So life just kind of happened to me career-wise at that point in time, I was just kind of going with the flow. But after doing that for like six to eight years, I just got to the point where, you know, I wasn't using my brain. I wasn't being challenged. I was like super on autopilot. And you were living like probably the most insane looking life in Sydney, Australia. I'm so jealous. Ugh, I want to go. It was, it was crazy. I went to visit once and it was unbelievable. Uh, Wow. Yeah, I, I loved it. And like the jobs I was doing at the time, I mean, they served their purpose because they allowed me to stay there and after I, you know, after I had kind of gone through that period of time where I was like, ah, I'm a little bit bored with what I'm doing, I was thinking about what my options were. And I actually had thought about law school a couple of times, like it was in the back burner. Um, you know, as background, my dad's a lawyer. Like I've always kind of thought that I would end up going into the legal industry or that it would interest me. And I even took the LSAT like in 2015 to be like, is this an option? we'll see didn't like my score got super frustrated it's like let's table this for a while and then I hit the point where I was like okay I want to move home I want to make a change I'm about to turn 30 like that moment just kind of hit where I thought if I'm going to make a change and have like more of a stimulating career it's kind of now 
or never. I mean, it just gets harder and harder to make that change. So I took the LSAT again uh, and kind of took it more seriously that time and very quickly like had it moving. I think I decided in October that I wanted to go to law school, took the LSAT in January, applied in like March or April, and then moved back and started in August. So it was very much like a quick, like- Such a quick turnaround. I remember that. Yeah, and you were studying enough. so much. So you've really, I feel like been studying for like five years, including the year that you spent just trying to get into law school. Yeah, cause that's, I mean, that's like a huge, almost like a extra job on the side, totally at the totally. time. Yeah. And you were, and, and that last year when you were, you know, studying for the LSAT and then applying to law schools, you were also still working full-time at the recruiting firm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. And so, and so you started law school, you moved back to DC and you made it through, uh, your first three years. Is this your third year? How first, many years is law school? Is it three or four? Yeah. It's your third year. It's three. Okay. I'm in my third now. Yeah. I, that's what I thought. And then I second guessed myself, as you can hear in my voice. So you're in your third year. They say the first year is the hardest. Was that true? Yeah, there's just so different. Like the first year is very hard because it's all new. What, what they say is like the first year they scare you to death. The second year they work you to death. And then the third year they bore you to death, which I think is, I mean, I can validate is like pretty true. You're feeling bored. There's that stimulation you were looking for. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's well, so interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Do you want to ask a question? Or I was just going to go off on a tangent, on an observation. No, no, go ahead. Um, just, but start with it's so interesting again, so I can edit. It's so interesting how you talk about, um, like, in different periods of your life, your career played a different role. So, like, in earlier in your, like, right out of college, Yes, career is important. Like you want to be doing well in your job, but it's, you were kind of like, like, like what you were doing was maybe secondary to your life in Australia, for example. And like, you wanted to do what you could to stay there. And I think that's something that people forget sometimes. Cause we're so focused on like my career and like, how do I get there? And how do I get to, on this right trajectory? And like, it's okay if you take like twists and turns in the middle. I mean, we, Monica and I did that too. We weren't doing anything fun. We were just doing different careers. Um, but like, it's, it's, it's just as valuable to have those experiences. And then once you become a lawyer, or like once now that, now that you've gone through law school, you probably have a better appreciation for the things that you're doing now. And you can just have a better sense of like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing rather than that, like nagging feeling in the back of your head. Like, Ooh, I, I maybe should switch it up. Cause you've done it. And like, you've had that life experience. So I just think that Australia portion of your career is probably like super important and I'm so jealous we should all have an Australia in our careers never too late does Square have an Australia office Uh, they don't need to we can work remotely I don't know if they would like give us a visa sponsorship though to stay there yeah like tax implications these are details that I can work out on my first day (laughs) (laughs) yeah get on that (laughs) um so Patty, I want to know a little bit more about just what it felt like going back to school after being in the workforce for five years, because it's a very different style of life. Um, and on top of that, you were also 
moving to a different country, granted one that you'd lived in already for some time, but there's, you know, probably a bit of like a, a culture shock coming back to the US too. And you did this in such a like quick time period. Um, so did you find sort of rejoining um, this or joining this class at sort of a later phase uh, in your life? You mentioned that you were almost turning 30. Were a lot of your classmates people who had just graduated from undergrad? Was there like a big age gap there? Yeah, there was, I think. So I, the school that I go to is a little bit smaller. So when I, my first year class was like 120 people. And I think the average age was 27. So, I mean, I was definitely on the older end of the spectrum and there were a mix of people in our class who had just graduated from college like the spring or summer before. And then there were also people that were much older than me. Um, but my, the way that I viewed the first year is, I mean, I think that the work experience helped me so much because, because I, I was even more aware of the sacrifice, you know, like I'd given up a salary, I had moved, like there's so many components to it that I was more aware of than I would have been, let's say if I was much younger going in, I pretty much treated it like a full-time job. At least that was how I was trying to view it. And the first year specifically, I was in class like from nine to five, which is kind of, you know, a schedule that we're familiar with. But then I would tack on, you know, whatever, whatever I needed, like two, three hours on top of that to prepare for class the next day. So, I mean, I think that there were some benefits there, but in terms of the transition, there were so many, and honestly, like still continue to be our ups and downs because, because of the workload and the lifestyle, it's, I find that like, it's hard for me to, for example, set a boundary with what I have to do for class or like what my commitments are and personal time, as opposed to when I worked, I used to just be like, okay, it's my weekend. You know, I'll pick this back up on Monday. So that's something that was a newer element for me to, to try to grapple with in that transition for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you find creating those boundaries in like the year and a half when you were completely remote? I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't think I did that great of a job only because I was like, well, if we're at home, I might as well just work all the time was yeah. kind of my, It's hard you know, not to. Totally. And after doing it, like at least for the fall and realizing like, okay, this is going to be, you know, going on for much longer. I tried to be better about taking walks, stepping away from things, going away for trips on, like on the weekend to, you know, like a, my friends, like beach house or something and actually do it. But it did, I mean, honestly, it did take me a, a while to get there because it was very much like wake up out of bed, go to Zoom class at 9 a.m., attend a bunch of meetings right after, go to Zoom class in the evening, and then maybe do work after that, which I can imagine is probably not too, maybe too different from, you know, if you have a very consuming work schedule, but it was a lot. If you're not like leaving your apartment and you're not, even if you have, you know, the consuming work schedule and it's not like a COVID time, you at least have, or if you're in school, you at least have the commute, like you're seeing other people getting a little bit of fresh air. Um, I'm sort of like you though. I, I have a hard time sort of creating those boundaries 
for myself, even though literally no one else is going to do it for me. Um, and the only way that I've been able to do it is by really like seeing and experiencing what burnout looks like yeah. and then having to like slowly, slowly dial it back. But it's sort of cyclical. Like, I feel like this happens to me sort of over and over again, where I'll get like over ambitious and try and do too much, do too much, do too much. And then something will happen that just sort of teaches me a lesson that it's not sustainable and I'll dial it back and then I'll slowly start to like build it up and build it up and build it up. So it's a process. Yeah. Yes. I was going to ask what you thought about. Yeah. Like, like you left, you totally switched careers and started law school. And like, how do you, how do you avoid burnout and those feelings of like, is this the right decision? Kind of like, I'm, have you had moments where you've second guessed yourself or like, this is too much, or it's, it's just such a huge, huge decision. And I mean, especially in that first year where they kind of like try to break you, it sounds like, like, how did you cope with that? And like, what advice do you have for people going through any kind of big change like that, where it requires a lot of sustained, like work and overwhelming, like kind of, kind of pressure, um, for a long period of time. Yeah. I think it's, I think I'm, I still continue, like Monica said, to have my cycles of it. And honestly, going forward, I think that that will continue to be the case, especially with things that are coming up, like studying for the bar and then going into an industry that, you know, you are expected to work a lot of hours. So I've definitely, and even in the last two and a half years of law school and taking on too much at some, at certain points, I have experienced burnout for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think my biggest, like my biggest learning lesson and maybe a piece of advice, cause I kind of wish I had been more aware of this before is just to be hyper aware of what, what you're experiencing. And I trying to identify it and actually listening to that because at least my, my personal experience with some burnout periods that I've had have been, it's so easy for me to see like on the other end of it that I was burnt out. But at the time when it started, when I started to realize like, I'm way more fatigued. I, you know, I, I'm losing interest in reading what I'm reading or, or whatever it is. I don't know if I necessarily identified it at that point in time. And I think now I'm trying to be more conscious about doing that. So then that way I can be like, I know this feeling, I know what this is, let's do something about it. Like, let's listen to what this means, you know? Yeah. So true. And it's not something you can just muscle through. Like it's not a weakness that you're going through periods of burnout, which I think is kind of what we were taught. It was like, keep going, keep pushing. It was almost like all these messages like, harder. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like pushing through and grind. Yeah. And ignoring signals in your body or your brain or like, you know, everything is telling you to stop. And all we hear is don't be a quitter. Like, you know, all these things. So I think just knowing that burnout is a thing um, and having to experience it, like we've all said, helps you identify it later. But yeah, I feel like anytime you're like questioning your decision or your career or your abilities, it's like a good sign that burnout could be at play. Oh, totally. I think even just like my, you know, tying it into imposter syndrome, like whenever I have moments like that, I, it's very much, I think, amplified by periods of time where I'm stressed for sure. You know, as opposed to like constantly being there, it just like, it'll flare up and I'm like, what what do I do with that? You know, Patty, I'm so glad (laughs) you brought up imposter syndrome because I feel like it has to be really prevalent in at law school, uh, even if people aren't 
willing to own up for it just because of the amount of pressure that everyone is under the workload. Um, and, and also just, you know, the pressure that everyone must be putting on themselves to stick with it because it's such a big financial investment on top of other things. Um, so could you speak a little bit more to how your relationship to imposter syndrome has evolved? Uh, let's say like where you were on uh, at this time two years ago versus where you are now. I think I've, I've become like, again, like become more aware of it and have like given it less, I've tried to give it like less of a, you know, like powerful voice or something. Cause first year, for example, I would have it all the time, like in the classroom. Cause the way that the way that law school structured is like the professor will just randomly call on people and kind of put people oh. on the spot. <laughs> oh no. Is that called the Socratic method? Is that what yes. it is? Oh my yeah. God. That's what the Socratic method is. Interesting. Yes. So being like, you know, Miss Smith, like, what are your thoughts on this? How, you know, how does the court perceive X by Z? And I mean, you, I, I would basically like be like flustered the whole time being like, oh my God, if I get called on, I have to have the perfect answer. Otherwise I'm going to look so silly. Yeah. And, you know, even like I, I participate in class, like I'll like, you know, interject my like, thought or interpretation of something, but I also won't do it unless I've done like so much prep work, you know, mm -hmm. beforehand. Cause yeah. otherwise like maybe my opinion is not as validated or valid, or maybe I don't come off as prepared. So that was, I mean, that was a lot of the first year and I still have that. It, it still comes up, but I think do they do that after the first year or is it only the yeah, first they do it the whole it's time. the whole time. Of course it is. Yeah. Can you, can you pretend you're just frozen on, on zoom? <laughs> Like that. <laughs> it's, it's easier in Zoom life because I mean people would be like just right in the chat, the chat, mic issues. It's like you don't have mic issues. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't do the reading. <laughs> you don't have mic issues. Like there's no such thing as mic issues unless it's at the beginning of the meeting. You know, it doesn't right. happen in the middle. Oh, right. that's like classic would be like screen off. I mean, yeah. I didn't do the like, screen off call on, like you're called on and just Mike no, absolutely no response. Yeah. <laughs> or just no response. Oh, doesn't sound like they're yeah. doing too well. I know. I know. It's always funny. And that's like, whenever I see that, I'm like, okay, not every, you know, it's not as I'm making it super intense in my head, but it's not, it cannot be as intense. So as like I'm at least I'm it. doing better than that person is. Yeah. It, <laughs> Does it make me feel better? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. But this podcast is all about honesty. Yes. Oh, totally. I still have moments when I get flustered. Like the other day in a class, like I just, my heart started racing when they were like, let's see, miss. And then there was like that pause. And I was like, ah. Oh, <laughs> I knew it was going to be you. You just knew it. <laughs> my start, my heart starts racing when I have to introduce myself. Like, oh my Monica, gosh, yeah. you're going to have to do this next week. Like just any kind of, well, let me tell you, like I, this most stressful part of, uh, of my week was having to write a bio about myself. I was texting Jalen. I was like, how do I do this? I'm, it's I don't so have anything to say. It's like Monica writes code and lives in Los Angeles. <laughs> she did someone ask you to do that? Or you just thought yeah, you my manager that. did my manager. Oh, did. I, okay. I, think he, I think he actually, I think this must've 
been a typo, but at first he was like, one or two paragraphs is fine. And I was like, one or two paragraphs, that would be my entire autobiography, sir. Um, so, huh. but I said, he, he said, he said that, um, that what I sent was good, but I, I was second guessing myself so much because my natural inclination is to like make things kind of like sarcastic and like dry and funny, or at least like what I perceive as funny. Um, but I felt I was too nervous to do that, um, for this bio, because I was like, this isn't going to translate everyone's just going to think I'm like weird or like mean. Um, and so it's, it's like very boring. It's, it was like basically written by a bot. Um, so any of my, any of my future coworkers out there listening, uh, I'm, I'm not a robot and, uh, I can be funny sometimes, but I was scared. And okay, um, you have a chance to reinvent yourself also, if you want to, you know, if you want to create a new personality and a new job. I don't, I'm going to stick with what I've got. Well, but it doesn't sound I, like you're sticking with what you got. Cause you, you reverted what you got on your, on your bio. <laughs> okay. I don't appreciate your tone. Um, <laughs> but bring no, that back just- body. <laughs> <laughs> That was just me. That was just me under pressure. I don't do my best work under pressure. Exactly. Yes. Bring it back to Patty. Anytime the pressure, pressure is definitely an environment for imposter syndrome and like feeling like you have to, yeah, like give your best, most eloquent answer at the drop of a hat at someone calling your name. But I, I think that I'm sure this does happen to men too, but I, I would probably, I would guess that like women probably think more about what they, many women or, or people that are more introverted, probably like think more about what they say, even in meetings when they like elect to talk, not when someone calls on them. Um, and a lot of that is imposter syndrome of like, I need to sound smart. I need to have all my ducks in a row. I need to have every, like every thought well-formed. And I feel like sometimes it is damaging because it's like, you can't just like be in a meeting, like off the cuff, throwing things around and like riffing off of each other if you're just waiting to like just spit out the most perfect thing like that's kind of what meetings and learning is about is like you know obviously making mistakes and learning from your mistakes but like yeah just saying things and learning and and getting other people's opinions and not having to like have it all in your head fully baked yeah yeah for sure and I think that like just the more, the more experience you have with it in whatever context, maybe the more comfortable you get. Right. Like I, I, I saw personally myself get more comfortable, but it's still there, you know, lurking in the background from time to time. Totally. Totally. Have you seen or like experienced any type of gender bias, either at school or so far on the job or just differences in, you know, like how the men in your program present themselves differently from the women? So my answer is a little bit mixed because I actually was, have been in the school environment pretty pleasantly surprised in terms of like four out of six of my first year professors were women, which I wasn't expecting, but it's like makes a huge difference. Um, And I mean, I've met some really like smart 
incredible women in the program. But like to Taylor's point uh, earlier about men being able to speak more freely to like generally, I mean, I've definitely seen that in the classroom environment for sure. Like, so, you know, someone kind of very obviously um, not having read and just kind of filling up a little bit of like dead time by speaking where like you generally don't see that done by women as much. Um, but in so far in the, like in the, in the school environment, I've been pleasantly surprised, but I'm very aware that the legal industry has that stigma of being very male dominated. And also I think it's a lot of it has to do with like career trajectory because of the timing, like the hours that you're meant to work. I mean, the disproportionately don't work as favorably for women. And so I'm pretty aware of that. Um, and like interviewing around, I was trying to be very conscious of like, how many female partners do you have? What kind of flexibility do you have for like working parents, things like that. But I, I think that like firms that don't necessarily put that out there as something that they have, like to me, it kind of indicates that that's not, you know, that's not like a priority or it's not something that's pretty prevalent. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out once I get more like context working full-time. I'm curious yeah. how you worked out the calculation in your mind of like how, how being a lawyer with all these extra hours and like the time that you're about to put in, how that is worth it to you. Like, how did that, how did you make, this sounds like a shady question, but I just, I'm genuinely like, you know, you're about to be working like a shit ton of hours. Um, and you're not right out of college. Like sometimes it's like, oh, you put your time in. Um, how did you make that calculation and say like, yes, this is definitely what I want to do. I mean, I'm still like very aware of the issues that it's potentially going to uh, present in terms yeah. of like what my life's going to look like when I start. But I, I mean, when I hit that point earlier, when I was, yeah, I was living somewhere that I loved. I had like a very fun lifestyle, but I also would kind of wake up and be like, eh, work's not really doing that much for me. Or like, oh, I have to go to work. I don't have that much going on. And this is me probably like making the most out of whatever situation I had, you know, like I'm never going to just kind of float around in a job, but mm -hmm. I like, it does kind of in, impact your day to day when you're like, not very excited about what you're doing or you're not really challenged. And so it, I am like going way on the other end of the spectrum, but I did have a period of time where I was on like the more lax end and I was just, just wasn't like suiting me in like fulfillment or anything. So, um, I'm totally overcorrecting, but I do think like <laughs> if I get a good balance going and if I'm doing work, that's pretty challenging, always changing. I'm using my brain. Like, I, I do think that I, if I get it right, like I'm going to, I will really enjoy that. Yeah. Are you going to be like a full-on court lawyer? I don't know yet. So no. I, it just kind of depends like how things play out when I start, but that is a possibility. Yeah. Which is a lot, very intense, but also kind of looks fun to me. So yeah. Talk about I mean, that's where all the excitement is, right? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I there's, and you'll definitely meet, like I've met people in law school that are like, don't want to stand in a courtroom ever 
don't want to ever like go face to face with the client, you know, put me in the back of your <laughs> contracts or like, let me work on financials of a deal. Like any of that kind of stuff. I'm like, that doesn't interest me. I want to do like pretty like engaging what I find to be like engaging work. So, um, so it could be that I end up in the courtroom and even if I'm not doing that, like full-time, a lot of the pro bono work that's available to people is taking on cases and, and going to court. So yeah, I mean, I would love that experience. Will I be terrified? Totally, <laughs> totally. But it sounds, to me, it sounds exciting. Um, how much of a role did Elle Woods play in your decision to go to law school? I mean, isn't she an inspiration to us all? She really is. She really, so, so 100%, you would say. Yeah. Huge part. Do you feel, okay, so let's say you're going to the courtroom. Do you feel, um, well, I guess you haven't been there yet, but do you think you're going to feel this, this need to like, I don't know, dress down, like speaking of long hair and stuff like dress down or like, you know, dress in a professional, modest, conservative way so that people think you're smarter? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's like, if you're talking about gender roles in the legal industry, there are parts of it that are very old school. Yeah. Like, I don't know how often this comes up, but I've heard of like judges or certain courtrooms, for example, where like women have to wear a skirt or a dress and not pants. Ew. Just like, oh, so, no, thank you. I know. And so like those things exist, which is kind of crazy. So I do think like when the time- I comes, object. I yeah. object. <laughs> what do you want to look that at my a knees, you creep? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> Like, I feel like pantyhose are prevalent in the legal industry still. Not totally, but I do think that that's... Uh, I object to that also. That's nasty. Same. Huge major objection to any (laughs) sort of hosiery, except for Spanx. We love Spanx. They're stable. Hopefully the judge, hopefully the judge can't see your Spanx. (laughs) He can't. That's like the whole point of them. They're invisible. Right. Right. Not sponsored. <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit through, because it's also just so incredible that you had an internship, your second one this summer, but this time you actually got to go in person uh, at least a few days a week. And you walked out of there with a job for when you graduate law school. Um, and Congratulations. That's amazing. It must at least take some of the pressure off of your third year. Um, And what is your title is going to be associate. And can you explain just a little bit about like what the ranks are? So you start as an associate, a law firm, and then how you sort of work your way up and what the, um, I guess, sort of like timing looks like in terms of like a normal career progression. Yeah. So for, for most of these big law firms, like you go in as they call it a first year associate and they pretty much like progress you. You're always in, you're still an associate, but you're progressed by, you'll say like, I'm a second year or I'm a fifth year, that kind of thing. And it's based, I mean, my understanding of it is that it's based on time, like how long you're there. Uh, I think it might actually just like simply run off of like the calendar of your second, third year there and or a mixture of like how much you're billing and feedback that you're getting. And I I mean, I think that like 
my understanding is that you you essentially like work up to partner or you decide that you don't want to be a partner and you kind of transition out into government or in-house counsel or you know whatever that is so it's really just you go from like associate to partner yeah but it's like over a you know a long number of years a long period of time yeah Yeah. it's not like one year first year associate second it's not like living social where you're a team lead six months in six months in (laughs) um but it should be (laughs) <laughs> everywhere should have that sort of organizational structure it worked out very well for them um so okay so first year associate when you say billable hours like does that imply that you're actually going to be taking on your own cases in your first year i'll probably be assigned to like a few different cases and then uh-huh. the first year i mean the first year always is like doing the like the, the work. work that no one else wants to do yeah totally like here's this legal question we don't know what that the answer is research it come back to me tell me what you think it is and then we'll go forward from there which is the cool thing is i got to do a little bit of that over the summer which is exciting but then also like you know when you're when you're given assignments like that like i I was just sitting there being like do i know what i'm doing (laughs) well i assume that when you say research it it's not just like typing the question into google and asking the internet and taking whatever the first one is yeah it's like doing legal research on like cases and statutes and yeah like looking at like past precedents and and that sort of thing and then being like how you know there's nothing on point like how do I make an answer out of what I have that kind of thing well is there I mean is there supposed to be a black and white answer or are you supposed to just kind of like do your best to interpret the precedents that were already set and the decisions that were already made and how it impacts the question you're trying to answer. It's a mix. Like in some cases, if it's like already exactly that situation's been decided, easy black and white answer. The like more of the, I think the work I'm assuming that I'll be doing is like in that gray area where it's like, there's things out there that look good for us. There's things out there that don't look good for us. How do we distinguish the things that look bad for us and like manipulate the things that we but not manipulate but like find argue I guess what looks good for us so it's a lot of figuring that out which can be I mean I'm assuming will be like pretty stressful in the sense that you're working with a lot of ambiguity all the time but also like that's I would think that that's what makes it interesting right like that's the part that I was talking about earlier where I'm actually going to be doing different stuff every day and using my brain as opposed to just like running on autopilot like I was doing before. When you were an intern, did you have other interns that you felt like you were like competing against? Like I imagine you'll have kind of a first year class, right? Or is it only you? No, it'll be, it'll be um, people that I worked with over the summer. Mm. And it was, the great thing is like, there was no, you know, pinning against each other or anything mm. like that at all. So I'd have, I've had a very good experience. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily the case everywhere. Like I, I can imagine that there's places out there where they're like, you know, not everyone will get an offer. Like it's a pretty, it could be adversarial and things like that, which I'm glad that I ended up, you know, where I did. Yeah. Um, that just, I feel like that's just a lot of chaos. 
Yeah. I feel like, you know, I've watched a lot of lawyer shows and that's always the big theme is competing against the other people in your class. So I'm glad to hear that that's not going to happen for you because that would be annoying and stressful. Yeah. I think they do that on suits, right? Um, suits, you know, there's the good wife, which I love top, top notch program. Um, yeah. That's all I'm thinking of right now. I freaking love lawyer shows. I'm just jealous. You're going to get to wear your little lawyer outfits and like go and just be like a big time lawyer lady while I'm sitting here in my pajamas at my computer. I'm jealous. There is part of me that's like, I, <laughs> like thinking about suits, like the women in that show, you're like, okay, there's like cool yeah. office, like very nice office fashion out there. Totally. Totally. Patty, I know that you've mentioned that you, like me, also kind of go through these, like, work, work, burnout cycles, um, but what are some of the tools, because you also mentioned that you've developed this awareness now, and I'm sure it's continuing to kind of, like, compound and, and build on itself, uh, so hopefully one day you'll pull yourself out of the cycle before it's too late, um, but what are some of the tools that help you get through like a really, really busy time or how do you carve out even those like small moments of self-care when it really doesn't feel like you have the time um, to sort of like prevent that burnout from happening? Something that I didn't do at first, but I started doing like once I became more aware of what was going on was I'll just tell people, like I'll tell a law school friend, like I'm really stressed about this assignment. And that like small thing about just vocalizing it honestly helps so much because you realize, okay, you're not the only one. And sometimes if you talk things out, you could be like, it's not that, like, I'm not, it's not as big of a deal. Right. So I'm, I try to be pretty good about that. But then also I, I've like kind of gone more like less intense workout routes. Like Monica and I have talked about this a bit, but like Lately, I've a lot about our workout trajectories. No, because that changes too. Like I've had moments. I know you're usually like a very, you've been a very high intensity. I mean, you're a marathon girl. Yeah, totally. Like I would be doing very intense workouts, be training for marathons at one point. And now I'm like, let's go for a, a long walk. Let's do a spin class. Let's do Pilates. Like things that a a low intensity spin class (laughs) (laughs) you know just a casual class is your is your idea of a low impact workout and I love it my idea of a (laughs) low impact workout is meditation (laughs) I've also been trying to meditate more um but yeah I I have an app recommendation if you need one you know what could it possibly be yeah Um, they just like slowing things down a bit and being like we don't have to be you know intense in every aspect of our lives just very self-explanatory but shockingly not to me well I think it's also hard to do it makes sense in principle but when you already have a habit of you know like looking for those sort of like high intensity outlets and basically doing I kind of think of it as taking just like a brute force approach to everything in life like going at it, you know, like 110%, like, you know, I know that if I like do this workout and like jump really high and like run really fast 
in place um, and do like a hundred burpees, then, you know, I can like check the exercise box and then I'll feel better. Um, but that's not necessarily always like what we need. Yeah, definitely. And I've like very much realized that now I think at first, not so much, but now I'm like very happy with, you know, mixing it up and not putting that weird extra pressure. Yeah. I think it's all about just like, as annoying as it sounds, listening to your body, but like, just, yeah, just like trying to feel out what you need rather than like your habit or your go-to or just what you've been doing forever. Cause that's what you do. Um, and that helps with, yeah, naming your stress. And that, I think, um, Sabrina called that naming the monster, like as you just identify it and then it like takes the power away. Um, and then it's like, Oh, okay. That's like, Yep. It's, I told someone it's not this big secret that I'm like dealing with on my own. I can lean on people. Um, yeah. And we just don't have to like muscle through everything and, and be perfect in every aspect of our lives or any aspect. A lot of times I feel like muscling through doesn't yield the results that we expect it to. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it, you know, like the hours of work that you put in on a given day doesn't necessarily equate to a productive day or X amount of output. In fact, I think there's kind of like a bell curve to it where, you know, you peak at like this amount and then there's diminishing returns after that and possibly even the potential for like doing extra work or doing something incorrectly and then only later realizing that you have to go back and and redo it again. Totally. Well, I feel like that was such a great departure from our our regularly scheduled programming, our first non-technical guest, Um, and just goes to show that these challenges are kind of across the board for, for women and just like being a professional, being, you know, across careers, um, these issues will come up and it just makes us feel a little bit better, even though it sucks that we all have to deal with it makes, I think it makes people feel better. Yeah. And I, I do feel like law is still a very like logical process, like very sort of a logic oriented, um, and you know, difficult, difficult to understand. (laughs) Uh, so thank you, Patty, so much for taking the time, uh, to hang with us. I know it's getting close to your bedtime back in DC. And I appreciate you staying up late to chat with us um, and share all about your exciting journey, which is only gonna get better from here. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Thank you, Patty. So nice to meet you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.